Houses in the U.S. are getting bigger and bigger. New construction, sprawling developments. People dream of man caves and she sheds. Enormous kitchens that open up to even bigger living rooms. But even though our houses are growing in size, we have fewer people living in them. So how is it that the amount of energy we're using in our homes is going down? Yep, you heard that right. We're using less energy than we used to 40 years ago. A lot less. Oh, it's incredible. The innovation in this area has just been astounding. And a lot of it has actually been kind of accidental. Maybe not accidental, maybe incidental. So how do bigger houses use less energy? And how do you make your house more energy efficient? Well, it all has to do with something we call building science. From this old house, this is Clear Story, your home in a new light. I'm Kevin O'Connor. In the 1970s, the average new American home was roughly 1,660 square feet. Now, it's about 2,600 square feet. That's more than 63% bigger. And that's not the only thing that's changed. In the 1970s, households typically had three people living in them. Today, we're down to about two and a half, which means on average, each person has about 1,000 square feet of living space, up from 500 square feet. So, bigger houses, but less energy use. It seems counterintuitive, until you understand building science. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. It's hard to define. I think a lot of people have different definitions. But building science or building physics, at least as I conceive of it, is understanding as much as you can about the layers that separate the inside from the outside. Christine Williamson is a building scientist. She looks at houses as a system, a bunch of different parts that have to work together. And her job is to connect all of those parts, the walls, the roof, the window openings, so that you can be dry and comfortable inside, even if it's raining or snowing outside. When it's done right, your house uses less energy. The three biggest factors in order, if you're building something new, number one, you want to limit the window-to-wall ratio. The second factor is air sealing. So how well are we separating the interior environment from, from the exterior environment? We want to keep the outside air out and the inside air in. And then the third is how good we are at insulating. Now, before we get to those three things and how you can make your house more energy efficient, we've got to take a step back. Because as Christine said, we kind of got to where we are now by accident. We used to build homes that were not only incredibly inefficient, but also incredibly uncomfortable. If you heard our episode on framing, you know that at the turn of the century, people wanted to build houses faster and cheaper. So they framed houses using two-by-fours that could span 20 feet high. This is called balloon framing. Picture lots of vertical wood running from the foundation all the way up two stories to the roof. As you might imagine, there's a lot of air that goes through that. So that our homes were really, really drafty. We, I mean, we used to build homes without any exterior sheathing. And these boards weren't so perfectly cut, too. So the regular edges and, I mean, you just blow through this stuff. Right. Picture huff and puff and blow your house down type action here. Around 1940, platform framing became more popular, where each wall was essentially built on top of the floor below. 
This was a game changer for a lot of reasons. It made homes safer and less prone to fires spreading inside the walls, but it also cut down on the air drafts, which was an unexpected bonus. Also, around this time, they started nailing felt or paper impregnated with asphalt to the framing. This created a protective layer so less air leaked into and out of the house, and it made the homes more comfortable to live in and more energy efficient because warm air on the inside of the house was separated from the cold air outside. Then, after World War II, there's another big innovation, also by accident. We had so much plywood on hand because of the war. We used plywood to make airplanes. So we had so much of this stuff, so we thought, oh, we may as well use it on our buildings. And so we would use plywood or those same felts as our air control layers. So we weren't doing this on purpose to improve energy efficiency, but in improving comfort, we greatly improved our energy efficiency. Big 4 by 8 sheets of plywood cover the framing, and houses become more airtight. Efficiency goes up so does structural integrity. That's also kind of by accident. Now, as time goes by, people want more windows in their homes, and they want to make them less prone to damage from storms and earthquakes. The answer? Plywood sheathing. Suddenly, it's everywhere. So people who are you know, driving around watching houses being constructed, you see the studs, and then you see what looks like plywood. Usually we use oriented strand board now for most residential buildings, which looks just like plywood, but it's more processed, but it comes in boards just like that. And then on top of that, we put a building paper, either felt paper, and then, of course, we use plastic building wraps like Tyvek. All of this has made our homes more energy efficient because the better you are at separating the inside air from the outside air, the less energy you need to heat or cool your house. Makes sense, right? So a lot of people don't realize that air control is actually more important than insulation. If the outside air is leaking into your home, your basic job of separating outside from inside, that's a job you have failed at, is basically what you're saying, right? The house is trying to separate the two, and when it leaks, it's not doing a good job of separating the two. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to leak a little bit, right? We're not designing submarines. The goal is to is to find a sweet spot. So how do we do as good a job as we possibly can with the tools that we have to create a comfortable space that people are going to enjoy and not kill themselves to pay for? Okay, that's how far we've come. Now let's take a look at our homes today. What are we using energy for? Television, computers, refrigerators, and dryers. If it's got a plug, it needs energy. But the average utility bill has gone down by about 500 bucks per year since Congress adopted the National Appliance Energy Conservation Act in 1987. That required manufacturers to make home appliances that are as energy efficient as possible. That means today, appliances only account for roughly 9% of the energy use in your house. The big energy suck? Heating and cooling. That's 43%. So it makes sense that building better layers of your house matters a lot. You'll be more comfortable, use less energy, and save money. How do you make your home more energy efficient? Well, let's go back to Christine's three pieces of advice, starting with the window-to-wall ratio. Stuff that we can see through tends to not be as efficient as stuff that we can't. So the opaque parts of our wall, we're able to build that and, and insulate that in a way that's much, much, much more energy efficient than even very good windows. 
There's a lot more wall space than there are windows, and that's a good thing, because when it comes to energy efficiency, windows are basically holes in our walls. See, heat flows easier through windows than through walls, and that has to do with the three ways heat is transferred, by conduction, convection, or radiation. Cold is only the absence of heat, which is such a weird, it's not how we perceive it day to day, but that is the case. So you experience rapid heat loss through things that are conductive when there's a big temperature difference across them. So if you picture standing next to a big window in Boston on a cold winter day when this window, for example, is in the shade. And you actually experience two kinds of heat loss through that. One is just conduction through the glass itself. But another is, and this is hugely influential for human comfort, your body will experience radiant losses to the surfaces around you. If you have a large glass surface and that temperature of that glass is cold, you will feel much, much colder then even if the air temperature in your room is like 80 degrees, you're going to feel chilled. And the reverse is true too, right? If um, let's say you're in Miami or you're in Boston, but it's a sunny day and that glass is being warmed by the sun, even if the air temperature is perfectly comfortable, let's say it's you know 68 degrees inside your room, if the temperature of that glass is hot, you're going to experience radiant heat gain. Your body will, and that might make you very uncomfortable. It's sort of magical, the radiation part of it. I could be standing next to that window. I'm not feeling cold air move across me, and I'm not touching the window. But my body is sending waves of heat that are being absorbed by that window. And it's sucking the heat. It's literally sucking the heat out of me. Crazy, huh? When it comes to our comfort in our homes, the two ones that end up mattering the most in a practical sense to us are conduction and radiation. Okay, so let's do conduction. Conduction being the heat that flows through a material. So this example is is pretty easy. Your cooktop, you put a frying pan on your cooktop and the heat flows from the stove, heats up the metal, and then that heats up your food. Heat goes right through it. And to your point, it goes through some materials more easily and other materials less so. Correct. So insulation passes heat not very well. It's not very good at transferring heat via conduction, whereas metal, glass, stuff that we intuit, right? It's stuff that we know is going to feel cold if we were to uh, put it on a, as a separator. You wouldn't build a, a metal gondola or a metal cabin. You know that's going to feel cold. If you look at a, a wood cabin, you intuit that you'll be warmer inside that one for good reason, because wood is much, much less conductive than metal or glass. And if windows only make up, say, 15 or 20% of your house, why spend money replacing them if you haven't already looked at the other 85% of the house? Christine's next piece of advice to make our homes more energy efficient has to do with a whole lot of noise. More in a minute. Christine's second piece of advice when it comes to creating a more energy efficient house has to do with air sealing. 
So, um, <laughs> forgive me for geeking out, but I guess this is a safe space to geek out on homes. This is the safest space. Come on, geek with us. <laughs> so, um, basically, picture a big fan, and you use that fan to either blow air into your house or suck air out of your house. And we know, based on essentially how much effort it takes, how strong do we have to run that fan to achieve a particular pressure difference from the inside to the outside, um, lets us know how good we are at making that air enclosure continuous or not. So for example, my house, because it's so leaky, you'd need an enormous fan blowing really, really hard to achieve that pressure. We measure that in air changes. This giant fan is a blower door test. We do a lot of them here on our home projects. You close all the windows and doors, and you place a huge fan in the front door. And by blowing air into the house or sucking it out, you can pinpoint where all the leaks are. Well, why go through all that hassle? Well, picture this. It's summertime in Texas. It's hot and it's humid out. All that outside air fills your house. So you run the air conditioner to make things more comfortable. But if your house is leaky, well, then that hot and humid air keeps coming in, and you have to keep conditioning that new hot air over and over again. And my 1926 old house in Texas with a vented attic and a crawl space where the floorboards are just tacked on, there's no subfloor. Like if I drop a penny through the floorboards, it just hits dirt uh, underneath. I estimate that mine would be around 11, but new homes, and some homes are even worse, uh, but most new homes are much, much, much more comfortable because they're tighter and they're around three air changes when you depressurize them. So it makes sense that the more airtight a house is, the more energy efficient it is too. When you're considering where to air seal, you have to think about pressure changes. That's the pressure of the air outside the house compared to the pressure inside. What part of our houses have the biggest pressure differences between them? I've got to assume, I don't know the answer, but I've got to assume something up high because of like the chimney effect versus something down low. No, I'm tricking you on this. Oh, it's, dang you. This, it's is no longer, even... this is no longer a safe space for me, Christine. <laughs> no, it is. It is because it's so fun. You'll, you'll know it as soon as I say it. It's the duct work. Oh, interesting. So as we thinking... pressurize this little tube, mm-hmm. we push a lot of air through our ductwork, either for air conditioning or forced hot air. That's a lot of pressure. Tons and tons of pressure. So that means that tiny holes become really, really important. The sort of number one thing you can do in the South, especially, because where's our ductwork in the South? It's essentially outside. It's in the attic, which is outside. We, we vent our attics typically. Yeah. Now, n- northern houses are quite a bit different. Often the ductwork is in the basement, so it's in the enclosed part of the house. If you want to get those benefits of air sealing, the place to start in the south is in the attic with the ductwork itself. Wow. So rather than seal the whole house, make sure that you seal the pipe that is delivering the conditioned air to the house because that's the one we are stuffing full of air, conditioned air. Exactly, yes. That means you can use a smaller air conditioning system. And there are other places you should look at air sealing too. So the biggest hole would be attached garages. Hmm. So how good we are at separating that space from our house is a big factor. Um, New houses, we do it 
relatively well, but existing houses, that's often a big spot of leakage. Is that because the garage is so big or is it because when we attach the garage to the house, that attachment is essentially a penetration into the house? Yeah, it ends up being like kind of a giant duct if you if you if if it's not sealed. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> the garage is a big one. Um, the ceiling is a very big one as well. So we have all kinds of penetrations through our ceiling. Such as recessed lights yep. and fans and registers for the ductwork and all of that? Yep. And attic access hatches oh. and, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. When it comes to air sealing, some of it's relatively simple. You can do basic things like seal around air ducts and swap out lights or ceiling fixtures for ones that are rated airtight. So what's left? Well, Christine's third piece of advice is about insulation. I had a Craigslist apartment with like eight strangers. <laughs> Crazy. And this little room that I was in used to be a porch and someone had decided they wanted more rental income, so they enclosed the porch and charged me not a lot, really, to live there. Now, the thermostat was a single thermostat for the whole house, and in the wintertime, we just jacked that thing up. It wasn't, um, we had heat included in the rent, so we weren't paying extra. And so the air temperature inside that room in the winter would be like 85 degrees. But guess what they never insulated when they enclosed that porch? I got to assume the floor. The floor. They left it. So the floor was a giant surface that was uninsulated, and it would be, I'd be chilled. I'd be freezing, even when the air, so it was both stuffy and uncomfortable. We've gotten used to measuring the temperature of a room based on what the thermostat says. But what we're really after is comfort. And if the biggest surfaces in the house, the floors or the ceilings, are losing heat because they're uninsulated, well, it doesn't matter what the thermostat says, right? If we feel cold, we are cold. And since there's a lot of floor and ceiling space in a house, you gain more energy efficiency by insulating those areas instead of replacing the windows. Okay, so we can take Christine's three pieces of advice into account when we're building a new house. That's easy, right? But the reality is most of us don't live in new houses. We're retrofitting older houses. And that takes time piece by piece, room by room. But that's okay, because every attic you insulate or duct that you seal is a step towards a more energy efficient and more comfortable home. Christine hopes that a better understanding of building science will help all of us in how we live, whether you're in a new house or renovating an old one. We pick our homes for all kinds of great reasons, but they don't have to do often with energy efficiency and, and comfort a lot of times. We pick it based on, you know, what neighborhood it's in, what school district it's in, how, how close we take into account our commute. And we take into account the walkability of the neighborhood, the maturity of the trees, uh, how, how pretty we think it is. There's all kinds of things, and they're all good things. But as consumers get a taste for what these newer more comfortable, higher-performing homes, as they get a taste for what these really feel like. Imagine being in a home where just suddenly your allergies got a lot better. If you've got a kid with asthma, you start sleeping better at night. These differences are, are stuff that people can notice. Now, they don't always see them, right? It's hard to, I guess, develop an appreciation for something that you can't see. But people do notice in their day-to-day -day lives. These homes are quieter, and there are fewer pests, right? And you're not smelling whatever's going on outside. Your neighbors are getting their grass cut and you're not smelling the fumes. These are differences that ordinary people can perceive. 
All of those things make life better. We're more comfortable in our homes, we're using fewer resources, and we're saving money. And when you think about how far we've come in the way we build our homes and the materials we're using, energy efficiency will only get better because the next jump forward doesn't have to happen by accident. So what does the future look like? Well, I joined Richard Chathui on a field trip to a place that's a step ahead when it comes to energy efficient homes. I mean, I look really good in Lederhosen. Yeah, I doubt that. <laughs> We've got more coming up after the break. Now, as Christine Williamson said, we've improved things here a lot when it comes to making homes more energy efficient. But there are places that are doing it even better. <laughs> like Germany. And that's where I met this old house plumber, Richard Chathui. Well, Kevin, welcome to Frankfurt. We're here in the Market Square. They call this the Rüma, the half-timbered buildings. So typical of a Market Square, you can see the church and a town hall called the Rathaus. Germany is about half the size of Texas, but it has a population of about 81 million people. And it's a place that Richard's been visiting for the past 30 years. They are a leader in home heating efficiency, and it caught my eye many years ago. Many people would argue that they are the market leaders in home heating, energy efficiency, and renewable energy, and I'm dying to show you just what makes them different. Well, Kevin, I brought you to something you don't see a lot of in Germany, and that's a new subdivision of new construction. But it lets you understand just how they build the house. In this new development, the homes are built out of concrete block and then are covered by stucco, and the roofs are clay tile. But look at this. You also see something on every single roof you don't often see, and that's solar. Either solar photovoltaic to make electricity or solar thermal to make domestic hot water. And that's because the government has passed a law that says 30% of the energy consumption on any new building has to come from renewable energy. That means solar, that means geothermal, or using biomass, wood pellets. That's really aggressive. Absolutely. What they're looking for is energy independence. You see, they have got no fuel of their own. They buy their oil from the North Sea, or they buy Russian gas, and that's always fraught with issues with price and availability. So they're looking for energy independence. Well, what about nuclear, though? Because Germany is known as a big nuclear producer. That was once the case. They once had 17 nuclear power plants around this relatively small country, and now they've challenged themselves. They're going to be free of nuclear. And what it leads to is the idea of energy independence where on every single residential roof they want to have local electricity generation. Every single flat roof, every supermarket is covered in photovoltaic panels to make electricity. And every ridgetop seems to be covered with some wind generator. Basically, Germany has two big goals. The first is to produce as much of their own energy as possible. And they're making slow progress towards that goal. In the first half of 2018, they made enough renewable energy to power every house in the country for one year. The second goal is to reduce energy consumption. They want to make their entire building stock, not just homes, but commercial and industrial space as well, carbon neutral by 2050. And to do that, the government is encouraging homeowners to start installing things like energy-efficient windows and energy-efficient heating systems. 
All right, Kevin, so this is a typical German house. Mm -hmm. It's about 1,800 square feet. You know, U.S. is going to be about 25 to 2,700 average. Okay. You can feel the scale being a little bit smaller, but it's got everything you need. There's a boiler somewhere in the building that heats water, and then the water is delivered to either radiators like this or radiant floor heating. And water is really the ultimate transfer medium. If we heat water, we can now move it anywhere we want through the building. We can zone like crazy, and it's very comfortable delivering heat to a building. So on a lot of projects that we work on, we do use radiators. But in general, the United States, don't we typically use forced hot air to heat the homes? Right. I think that's a, a question of where we are. Germany is at a latitude which is north of almost anywhere in the United States, a little below Alaska. But in general, it's a northern climate. So it's principally heating. Right. The United States, we have a lot of places that need cooling predominantly. And so that drives the decision to use ducted systems for air conditioning. Once you have ducts for air conditioning, you can do heating as well, and it sort of becomes more convenient. Yeah. And the numbers are really dramatic. 99% of the houses in Germany use radiators. 93% of the houses in the United States use forced hot air ducted system. Wow, what a huge difference. It's crazy. So that's how they heat the building. But also you got to think about trying to keep the heat that you make inside the building. This is a typical German house, but there's glass. Now glass is usually a huge liability. A huge liability because this is a great place to lose the heat through that's glass. Right. So feel this. We're standing in the living room in front of a giant glass sliding door, which is really thick and really heavy. It's triple pane glass, triple, okay? And it closes tight as anything. Yeah. And if that's not enough, you can close that and you can also do this. Mounted to the outside of the sliding door are metal shades. And with the press of a button, they lower to cover the glass. Now, roll shades can drop down, so now once they close, they can provide an air gap like a storm window in the winter. Uh, so at night, these would come down and Absolutely. keep the heat in the house? Absolutely. Now, you also can use them for solar gain in the summer so that it'll knock down the solar gain that comes in. So when I see these back in the U.S., I typically think of them as storm shutters, but here it's about energy efficiency. Right. And look at this, Kevin. Here's the cross-section of the outside of the house. You've got concrete block right here that's insulated. And mm -hmm. then outboard of that, you've got an additional five inches of insulation. They want to keep the heat inside the building that they paid for. Now, there's a lot going on in Germany in their drive to be more energy efficient. So Richard took me to see another house. This one is in a little farming village. Population, 850. Now, this is not a new village. It's only about 1,100 years old. Really? <laughs> that's right. Wow. But I brought you one of the new houses. This is only 120 years old. You can see solar up on the roof. Yep. I'm dying to show you inside, though. Well, welcome to a typical German mechanical room. Wow. Are you <laughs> kidding me? This place is cleaner than my right, kitchen. Right. Holy mackerel, it's spotless. No wonder you're so at home in these places. These people take mechanical rooms seriously. They prioritize them over kitchen countertops and fancy windows. Apparently. All right, so let me take you through what's going on here. Richard shows me a big oil-fired water boiler. But that's not what's actually heating the water for the house. Next to it is a pellet boiler that's burning little pieces of wood. Each one is about the size of a peanut. These are locally grown trees that get debarked yep. and then extruded out into these pellets. Now, I recognize the pellets. Uh, we use these back in the U.S., but I often think of it as sort of a pellet stove. It's right. in a room. Right. It's kind of local heat, right. but here you're talking central heating. This plant. is a heating boiler, and there's major industry to get it here. There's a hopper inside here. So now you're not going to stop and start this like an oil or gas burner. So once you get it going, you have to do something with the heat you make. So in that case, the heated water leaves, 
comes over here into this super insulated storage tank. Wow, look at that monster. So this is really a BTU battery storing energy that's gonna be used for either heating of the building or helping with domestic hot water. Okay, so eventually we're sending this up to radiators, that's, I presume? That's right. At every radiator, there's a local thermostatic radiator valve that makes every radiator its own zone. Wow, so we got a lot of zones upstairs, Absolutely. even though we've got one pump that's down right. here. That's right, and super efficient. Very cool. So if this is going to the radiators, how are we getting hot water to the showers and the faucets and stuff like that? Well, there's another tank closer to the showers in the building. And what that is, it's connected to solar. Now, oh. solar sends its energy down through pipes to a coil, heats up the water in the tank. Now, this tank is super sized and super insulated. So even if there's no sun for two or three days, you still have plenty of hot water. It could go that long. Absolutely. Hot so water. for my showers, the primary source of heat is the sun. That's free. The second source are these renewable pellets. Renewable, yeah. And only if those two aren't enough does it ever call for the oil? Yeah, and I'm told the system's working pretty good because this owner has not had that burner on in over a year. It went through an entire German winter without using any oil? That's right. I love this mechanical room even more now. So in a German house, it's really about the size of the building. It's about how you deliver heat to the building. It's keeping the heat that you've paid for inside the building. And finally, it's about its efficiency and maintaining that high efficiency over time. So if I don't change my filters, if I don't clean the furnace or the boiler, that efficiency goes down year after year. Right. Well, German government does not want that to happen. So what they do is they send an inspector to every single house in every single town. Really? And that inspector is the chimney sweep. And so what is he doing? Is he literally cleaning the chimneys? He does an efficiency test and an emissions test. If it's not up to a certain standard, it gets turned off. It has to be repaired or replaced immediately. Oh. Now, the other thing that's different in Germany is a thing called the energy pass. It's really a report card on every single building in the country, a history of how much energy is used by that building. Now, you might not think it's important, but it will come into play if you ever sell the building or if you're trying to rent an apartment. It would index what you'd pay for rent or what you might get for the building when you sell it. So the value of my house can be determined in part by how efficient it is. That's right. And what it does, it really invites people to invest in their building to make it more energy efficient. So there are differences when it comes to Germany and the United States. Over there, they have to heat with water and they like solar. They're using the things that make the most sense for them. Over here, we've got a lot of access to natural gas and oil. And we move around a lot, every five years or so. So the decisions that make sense over there don't necessarily make sense over here. But there are some things that everybody wants. Everyone wants their house to be more comfortable. Everybody wants a more efficient home. It's going to save them money. And the way you get that is to follow the science. Building science will help you build a comfortable, efficient home, no matter where you live, no matter how you live. Drop us an email at clearstory@thisoldhouse.com to let us know what you think of this episode and if there's anything else you want us to explore. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Clear Story and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Clear Story was produced by Rococo Punch for This Old House. Production support from Catherine Fedelosa, Chris Ermides, and Sarah Chase. Thanks to our guests, Christine Williamson and Richard Tuthui. I'm Kevin O'Connor. More next week. <laughs>